I love that video. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome. Welcome to River Glen. For those of you here in Waukesha, whether you're joining us in Pewaukee or online, wherever you're at, thank you for being here today. My name is Don. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And I know that there's a lot of places you could be on this Labor Day weekend, so I'm just thrilled that you chose to come and hang with us. Hey, Labor Day is one of those holidays that I really enjoy. It's one of my favorite times of year for two reasons. One, football kicks off next week. Go Pack Go. You guys excited? Really? Come on. Come on. That was a little better than 9 o'clock service. I think they were tired. Second thing, and I know this is exciting for parents, kids go back to school. That's worth clapping for. Hey, kids, listen, it's only because we care about your education that we're excited. Hey, seriously, I'm glad that you're here today as we wrap up this series, Love Where You Live. We're, we're unpacking this idea that God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your city for a reason God has a purpose for you right where you are today. As we get started, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite comfort food? What's that go-to food that sometimes you have to slip on a pair of sweatpants to really enjoy? What's that food for you? Look to the person next to you and tell them what your favorite comfort food is. Okay, well... I we have a list today of the top five comfort foods in America, and let's see if one of yours made the list, okay? Number five, spaghetti and meatballs. Anybody have spaghetti and meatballs? I know. There was two people at the last service. I'm shocked that it made it in the top five. Somebody said spaghetti and meatballs. Number four, mac and cheese. Definitely deserves a, a place in the top five. Number three, chili. I think it would have been higher if this would have been in the wintertime. Number two, grilled cheese and tomato soup, a classic. And the last one, chicken noodle soup. How many said chicken noodle soup? That is way too healthy for me to be on our comfort list. Well, mine fell in at number four. It's mac and cheese. And I have a question for those mac and cheese lovers out there. There's no judgment. I'm going to be right there with you. But who likes a good old box of Kraft macaroni and cheese? Raise your hands. Look, we even have a clap over here. I love Kraft macaroni and cheese. Probably not the best, but I, but I like it. And uh, I'll tell you, you're not alone. Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, in America, in their households today, we eat one million boxes per day. Isn't that unbelievable? It's kind of disgusting, but it's kind of unbelievable. I ran across this, too, when I was looking up things about mac and cheese, this beauty. Yes, that is a 27-pound bucket of macaroni and cheese. And notice that the bucket wasn't big enough, so they had to put an extender on top. Now, when I looked at that, I thought, what in the world? Who would eat all of that? But then I saw the small print. And it says that it has a 20-year shelf life. Yeah. I'd ask you if you've purchased that, but I'm not going to embarrass you. So, listen, we all love our comfort foods, but did you know there's actual some research and some science behind why certain foods bring us comfort? Studies show that we crave these foods because it releases dopamine that relieves our stress and makes us feel good. They connect us with pleasant memories from our past and even people in our past that have brought us comfort. For me, mac and cheese, it reminds me of my mom. It reminds me of my kids when they were little. And comfort food can be great. It looks good, it tastes good, and it can even make you feel good. However, there's a problem with comfort overall. In the United States, comfort has become an obsession with us, and I'm not just talking about food. When French sociologist Alexa de Coville came to the United States, he had this to say about American culture. American minds are universally preoccupied with meeting the body's every need and attending to life's little comforts. Now, when I first read this, I thought, 
Yeah, maybe. I could see times when we become obsessed with comfort. But the interesting thing about this quote is it was written in 1831. This is way before indoor plumbing, before hot and cold, run, cold running water, even before toilet paper. We've been addicted to comfort for a long, long time. Take, for example, air conditioning. It was invented in 1902 to just help the printing factories deal with humidity. But as you can guess, by 1965, 10% of the homes had air conditioning. 2015, 90% of the homes have air conditioning. Listen, I'm all for, for comfort. I'm not saying don't get, a, don't get rid of your AC. Don't get me wrong. Comfort can be great, but it can also become our enemy because if we're not careful, it can keep us from something far more important, and that's our calling. Each week, we've been challenged to look at the places as we live, not just as a, as a place for comfort to meet our own needs, but instead places where we've been sent. After Jesus' death and his resurrection, before he returned to his father, he said this to his followers, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And this message wasn't just meant for his followers, it was meant for us today, all of us. Jesus is sending us into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, and into our churches to love people where we live. It's how we fill the mission of Christ of making more and better followers of him. And if Jesus is sending us, then we need to be able to get out of our comfort zone and into our calling. Comfort can be great. I love electricity. I love hot and cold running water. I'm a huge fan of toilet paper. But comfort becomes a problem when we see it as a goal instead of a gift. Let me say that again. Comfort becomes a problem when we see it as a goal instead of a gift. We can easily become so consumed with everyday comforts that it starts to set the direction of our life. We get distracted from huge things in our life that, or things in our life that really matter, and we start to have these unhealthy expectations. Mark Sheen, a professor at the University of California, describes it as the cozy paradox. He says, we become such creatures of comfort that we lose our minds over even the slightest annoyance or inconvenience. I think we can all say we've, we've been there before. What drives you crazy? What makes you nuts when probably it's just something that you need to get over or it's just a little bit of adversity? Maybe it's that car in front of you when you're driving down the road that just isn't moving quite fast enough. Or maybe it's when you pull through the drive-thru at Culver's and they make you pull off to the side for a while instead of pulling forward. Or maybe for you, it's standing in a slow line as if those extra two minutes are going to make a huge difference in your life. I'm guilty of that. I always seem to choose the slow line. Professor Sheen continues, despite all of our many comforts, we have become increasingly oversensitive to even the subtle adversity and general uneasiness and our subsequent inability to cope feeds into a wide range of maladies, including poor work performance, overeating, insomnia, and relationship troubles. It's quite a list, isn't it? It's clear that when we seek comfort as a goal, we can experience some unwanted side effects. But the greatest danger is it can kill our calling, what God has called us to do. Author Shauna Pilgreen explains it like this, a life of comfort is called a win for the enemy. Once we make Christ our Lord, Satan has lost one battle. His next battle is to keep us comfortable so that we fail our earthly mission. We are to live out our calling, not our comfort. A life of comfort can keep us from our purpose. Because following Jesus is all about leaving our comfort zone and stepping into our calling. 
Throughout this series, we've been reading in Matthew where we get to see the start of Christianity when Jesus starts to call his first disciples. Let's continue Matthew 4.18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Peter's a great example of what it looks like to step out of our comfort zone and to step in what God is calling for in our own lives. Peter lives along the Sea of Galilee in a fishing village. He's a fisherman by trade. He he spent most of his time in a boat. It's not a life of luxury. It's a life of predictability and definitely a life of certainty. In a town that's economy was based on the, the fishing trade, Peter had a good gig. He, he had a job, he was valued in his community, he was depended on by others. And as a fisherman, his family probably had all the fish that they could eat. Peter had a good life. But along comes Jesus and he gives him an offer. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. As Ben said earlier, following means fishing. But here's where it starts to get a little crazy for me. Peter says in verse 20, at once they left their nets... And they followed him. Not after I take my gear home, not let me call my boss, or I need to reach out to the family. He walks away from his boat and everything that he's comfortable with to follow Jesus. The crazier part for me is that he knew little about this man. He knew of Jesus, but he really didn't know Jesus. The New Testament hadn't been around yet, so he had no idea what he was stepping in. Jesus just said, come follow me and I'll send you out for for people. And immediately Peter took his first step outside of his comfort zone and he left his boat behind. So here's the first thing that we need to do. If we want to step out of a life of comfort and into a calling, we need to follow Peter's example and begin a relationship with Jesus. Now for some of you, that is a a huge leap. Maybe you're here and you're not even sure what you believe. First of all, I want you to know that we are so glad that you're here today. And I don't believe that you're here by accident. Just being here today is a great first step. You know, when Peter took that step, he didn't have all the answers either. Matter of fact, he probably knew less about Jesus than what you know today. But the important thing is that he took that first step to follow and to find out more. Here at RG, we offer something called Alpha. I think it's a great opportunity to explore faith. You, you get together with other people, you share a lunch and a meal, you watch a video, and then you just discuss topics on faith. I love Alpha. I think it's a great opportunity to connect here. If you want to find out more, you can go to our connect wall or go online. By the way, people online, we have a group for you as well. Well, Peter's relationship with Jesus continues. He becomes a friend of Jesus and part of the 12 disciples. But that doesn't mean that Peter had it all figured out. There was a lot that Peter didn't understand, and he soon finds himself in another boat being asked to step out of his comfort zone and to trust Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. I want to set the stage for you. Jesus is on the shore of of the Sea of Galilee. He's tired. He just finished preaching. He tells his disciples to go ahead so that he can be alone, and he sends them across the sea. But then a storm kicks in, and the waves get high, and the Sea of Galilee, which is really just this massive lake that's known for unexpected storms and huge waves, they get waves as high as 10 feet. It's kind of a ship-sinking day on Lake Michigan kind of day. By the way, in the book of John, it says it's night, and they've rowed three to four miles offshore. The fishermen knew that they were in peril, that this was the kind of storm that could take them down. 
But let's read in verse 25 as things get a little odd. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Put yourself in this story. You're out on a lake, Michigan, in the middle of a storm, three to four miles in a rowboat. It's night. Someone's coming to help you, yay, but you think it's a ghost. I would be petrified as well. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now there were 12 disciples in the boat, and I guarantee you they were holding on for dear life. The only hope of safety was staying in that boat. Now it doesn't say how 11 of them responded. I'm sure that they were in awe, they were a little confused, maybe a little disbelief, but one of them, Peter, was about to walk on water. I love Peter. He's one of those friends that you have that you live vicariously through. You don't want to be him, but you kind of want a front row seat to his life. Anybody have somebody like that in their life? He knew this was a moment where if he let go and he trusted Jesus, if his faith was going to be strong enough, he was going to go on an adventure of a lifetime. What about you? The winds and the waves are high. The water is black. You're surrounded by darkness. Jesus is inviting you into something probably amazing, but definitely unpredictable, something that definitely brings uncertainty. What would you choose, the water or the boat? The boat's safe. It's secure. It's comfortable. The water, on the other hand, is rough. The waves are high. And if you step out of that boat, you have no idea what's going to happen next. There's definitely some risk involved. But if you want to walk on water, if you want to experience what amazing things that God has planned for you, we need to follow Peter's next example. And that's step out of our boat and take a step of faith. You may have begun a relationship with Jesus, but to get to God's calling, we need to be willing to take a step of faith. For many of us, the problem is we want to follow Jesus. We want to have faith, but we really don't want to get out of the boat. And your boat is whatever is bringing you comfort or safety outside of God. Your boat is whatever is making you comfortable, whatever is keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves and what he has in store for you. Maybe for you, it's your time, the freedom to do what you want, when you want, instead of going where God might want you to go and how he might want you to spend your time. Maybe it's the fear of rejection or being alone. To do what God's calling you to do, it might just cost you a relationship or two. Maybe it's success, maybe it's money, and the grip that it has on you is keeping you from trusting God. Listen, I I don't know what it is for you, but if you want to know what your boat is, ask yourself, what do I fear when I think about leaving it behind and stepping out in faith? Well, when Peter left, he was about to, when we left Peter, he was about to step out of the boat. Let's go to verse 29 through 31. Come, he said, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Before we go any further with this, before we start pointing fingers at Peter's failings, let's please acknowledge one thing. The dude walked on water. I mean, this has never been done before. There were 11 other guys who never even got out of the boat, but Peter did. He's the only one who got to walk on water because he had mighty, mighty faith. But if that's true, if he had faith, what happened? It's clear he had faith when he stepped out of the boat. It's clear he had faith when he walked towards Jesus. It says in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It says when Peter saw the wind, the reality 
of it all sank in. He realized the boat, the safety net was behind him, and he was standing on top of the water in the middle of this lake. So what changed? The wind and the waves didn't change. They were there before he ever stepped out of the boat. So the storm was there. Well, what changed was his view. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and started to look at the circumstances around him, and he sank. I think we've all been there before in our faith. We start to focus on our past mistakes, and we think, how can God use me? How can I really make a difference? And we take our eyes off of Jesus and what he can do with our lives, and we start to sink. We stress about the future, our job, our finances. We stop trusting God. We take our eyes off of Jesus and forget where it's all coming from, and we start to sink. We all have moments where we look at our surroundings and our situations, and we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we sink. But the answer isn't to stay in the boat. If we let fear keep us in the boat every time we fail, we're never going to get out of the boat again. We'll never get to experience the joy and the excitement of our calling, of what God is calling us to do. Friends, just because we have faith doesn't always mean that there's going to be smooth sailing. And every day we need to make that decision to get out of our boat and keep our eyes on Jesus. Peter had these same ups and downs as he grew in his relationship with Christ. He went on to become one of Jesus' closest friends, and he became the first leader of the church. But he also had his not-so-pretty moments, like the time he cut off a guy's ear, or the time when the authorities came and arrested Jesus, and then they asked Peter later, did you know him? And he, he said no. He actually denied him, not only once, but he denied him three times. After Jesus is crucified and dies, Peter starts questioning his purpose, his calling, and so he goes back to what he knows best. He climbs back into a boat where he feels comfortable. One morning, Peter's out fishing with some of his friends on the Sea of Galilee, and he, he's not catching anything. Jesus, who had resurrected from the dead, appears on the shore, and he, he tells him to cast the net on the right side of the boat. Peter doesn't recognize Jesus, but he listens, and he throws his net on the side, and he catches 153 fish in the net. I find it amazing that they're very specific about 153. After that haul, I'm sure he looked back to the shore wondering, who knows the sea better than I do? Well, in John 21, 7, it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He didn't wait to be called this time. He didn't stay in the boat and take an easy way back to shore. It says he jumped. Peter is once again out of the boat, and I'm sure he can't get to Jesus fast enough. He heads to the shore, and him and Jesus sit around a fire. They share fish. They share breakfast. Jesus is alive. Once again, he's in a relationship with his friend, with his Lord, and his faith has been renewed. But then Jesus had a question for Peter. Let's continue with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter said, yes, you know I do. And all three times Jesus said, well, then feed and tend my sheep. In that moment, Jesus was giving Peter an opportunity to deny or to redeem himself for the three denials. But he also was instructing Peter of his calling to feed and to tend his sheep. Throughout the Bible, Jesus refers to us as sheep, and Jesus is reminding Peter of what he was originally called to do, to be a fisher of men, to share the love of Jesus with others, to love where he lives, and to tend to his sheep. 
Just like Peter, if we're truly going to be a follower of Jesus, we need to do one last thing, and that's step out of our boat and into our calling. Peter did just that, and later he went on to preach the first gospel message in Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Imagine if Peter never got out of the boat. Imagine if he just stayed where he was comfortable, where life was predictable. He would have missed out on everything, the miracles. He would have missed out on being part of the 3,000 people that came to Christ. Now, maybe God isn't calling you to preach to 3,000 people like Peter, but he's calling you to something, something very specific to you. By the way, Peter wasn't the only person to leave his comfort for his calling. The first followers of Jesus gave up everything. James and John gave up the comfort of their family business. Matthew, the tax collector, left wealth to follow Jesus. A tax collector, he made good money, but he left it all behind. The Bible's filled with stories of people who leave the comfort of their boats to follow God's calling in their lives. God puts these examples in here because he wants us to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And as we said earlier, it's not just a calling on their lives, but on our lives today. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to go where he's calling us. And that means there's no certainty, there's no contract, it's a go and I'll tell you as you go kind of life. But I I want you to know this and I promise you this because Jesus promises us if you trust him and if you follow him and what he has planned for you and for your life, you're never going to regret it. It'll be the most rewarding and fulfilling life that you'll ever experience. Will it be scary at times? Yes. Will it be outside your comfort zone? Absolutely. Will you need to sacrifice something? Probably. Though Jesus Jesus promises comfort in our pain, following him was never meant to be comfortable. That's why Jesus said to, to his disciples, and it applies to us today, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, the cross is not the only means in which Jesus saves us. It's also an example of what it means to follow him. Jesus says we need to deny self. We're called to give up our own will, our own desires, and to deny self and to follow him. And then it says we're told to take up our cross. That means we follow Jesus' example and we sacrifice our own lives. We put him and his mission above everything else. Because following Jesus is choosing to step out of our comfort and into our calling. And that calling is helping people find their way back to God, and it all starts with loving where you live. That means your group of friends where you have influence. That means your job where God has placed you, or your church where God wants to use you. When we do this, when we follow God's command of loving our neighbors, we're giving other people an opportunity to see the love of Christ. Recently, we were able to hear how the act of loving where you live made an effect on a young lady named Chelsea. Check it out. Hello, my name is Chelsea Woolley, and I have been a barista at Mama D's for about a year and a half now. I came to work at Mama D's by my friend Laura LaBerge, who I went to school with. I was looking for a job, so I applied to Mama D's, and then I got an email, and (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I'm getting an interview because apparently like one in 13 applicants get interviews for Mama D's. Like a day later, she gave me a second interview, and the second interview is basically when she hands you like the W-2 form, like you're in. And I was like, oh my gosh, overjoyed. The community in Mama D's, like the love in that building 
is just off the charts. No matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day or just your average Tuesday, like you walk in there and you feel loved and comfortable. That combined with just the manager there, Peachy Warden, um, she is someone who is so good at taking people and showing them that like they are worth so much. She was something that I was like, man, if I could just like see life the way that she sees life. And so a lot was like kind of in my mind at the time and I was like, man, life sucks. Like that's just how I was feeling because it was COVID, all the stuff was going on in my family, things were not great. I didn't feel a lot of support from anyone. And then all of a sudden it was kind of like, eh, why don't you just like join Young Life? And I was like, well, nothing to lose. Like sure, let's do it. Like one thing led to another and I just started attending things because I just liked the people. And I was like, these people treat me so well and they're like kind of more fun than my other friends. So like, I'll just see what it's about. And I was like super prepared to be just like a social Christian and just go to things and like not really intake any of what was being said. I just wanted to like be with the people. It was just, uh, there's a ton of people who just show me what life could be. Eventually I was just like, I'm on fire for this. And then from there, I kind of became my own person in my faith and it just like, it just blossomed. And I was very on fire for Jesus and I knew how full I felt. And honestly, my the next step in my mind was just like keep reading. One night I was here and I had just joined the worship team and it was for Unite. They were like, hey, like pools open if anybody wants to get baptized tonight, all of a sudden I just understood that like if I get baptized right now, it is like final, like this is my life. Because at first when I got into my faith, I was really scared. I was like, this is almost like a life choice. This is a life decision because living a godly life and like devoting myself all the time, this means marrying a Christian, this means raising my kids Christian. And I was like, that's terrifying because all this, you like almost put rules on your own life. I was like, I have to, I just have to do it because being filled with Christ was so much more important than being able to do all that other worldly stuff because it doesn't fill you the same. And so when I got baptized, when it happened, I was just like, I don't need anything else. I kind of didn't have a lot in life, but I had so much at the same time. And that's what was so beautiful about it. And that's how I knew I needed to do it because it felt so right. There's been a lot that's been lost in the process of me finding Christ, but there's been so much that's been gained. The gratitude in my life has soared. I didn't used to be grateful. I mean, I used to think the world owed me something. So all, yeah, all the Bible studies and all the people like constantly getting together and building the community more and more every single time we did, it helped so much with just ingraining it all into my life. Simply, it was just the best thing that happened to me and that was like, would not have happened if it wasn't for Mama D's. Give Chelsea a hand. What a great story. When I hear all the people that were involved in Chelsea's life and her coming to know Jesus personally, I'm inspired. It took a relationship with, with Laura to, to friend her and to help her out. It took a manager at her job, Peachy, to, to live out her faith and make her feel valued. People this, at this church who loved her unconditionally. All these people played a role by following God's calling, but more importantly, they made themselves available. 
The really cool thing is Chelsea is now repeating this cycle of loving people where she lives. And I know one day we're going to have a video up here showing the impact that she's made on somebody else's life. So what about you? What does it look like to step out of your comfort and into your calling? Maybe uh, God is calling you to love where you live. Maybe it's at your job, caring for and making people feel valued like Peachy. Maybe it's in your community through our Love Waukesha, our Love Pewaukee programs where you can really make a difference where you live. Maybe it's in your own neighborhood with your neighbors. In week one, we gave you a sheet of paper that had you write down your eight neighbors. Put that on your fridge and start thinking of ways that you can serve them. And God's even calling us to step out of our comfort zone and into our calling in his church. It can be easy just to stay in the boat, attend, and eat a donut and go home. And I love the donuts, but there's so much more to gathering together. Maybe God's calling you to serve and volunteer somewhere. It takes hundreds of people to volunteer and to make our guests feel welcomed and loved. And I want you to know that you're needed. We have something called Backstage Pass that we do on the second Sunday of every month where you can get a tour of the place and find just a great place to plug in and to be able to serve and volunteer. We even have an opportunity next week, as we mentioned earlier, with Welcome Weekend, where you can come and bring a friend and share the love of Jesus with other people, have some food, and just kind of love on our neighbors. You know, God has surrounded you with so many people in your neighborhood and in your jobs and even in your church. God has placed you there for a very specific purpose a calling. But here's the thing. God always gives you a choice. Today I want to challenge you, whether faith is something that's new to you or you've been a Christian most of your life, whether you're a kid or, or you're retired. By the way, if anybody's ever told you that God does retirement, he doesn't do it on this side of heaven. He is constantly calling you to serve. Don't get stuck in the boat and a comfort of inaction, and a life that's boring, and a life that's outside of God's calling for your life. For all of you, I want you to hear one voice today, and that's the voice of Jesus who said this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's pray. Father, for some of us in this room, we're not sure what a life with you looks like. We have so many questions, we don't even know where to start. Father, give those people the courage to just take another step, to continue to seek you out. Let them experience the love that you have for them. For others, we believe in you, but we've been sitting in our boat for so long, we've forgotten what the word follow even means. If that's you today, I want to encourage you that God's not done with you yet. He has a purpose for you that's waiting and a life that is so much more than what you're experiencing now. Father, give them the courage to take that step back out of the boat and truly follow you. Help us all wake up every day and ask the question, God, how can you use me today? How, I'm available. I'll put my fears aside. I'll trust in you and what you have planned for my life. Help us also as a church to continue not to just be a church that huddles every week, but instead lives out our faith by putting others above ourselves and loving where we live. Thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.